Welcome to the Food Junkies Podcast. Here, we aim to provide you with the experience, strength, and hope of professionals actively working on the front lines in the field of food addiction. The purpose of our show is to educate you, the listener, and increase overall awareness about food addiction as a disease with abstinence as the solution. Here, we talk about all things recovery. Most importantly, how to thrive rather than just survive. So stay positive, make a change for yourself, tell others about your change, and hopefully the message will spread. Welcome to the Food Junkies podcast. My name is Dr. Vera Tarman, and I am your host today speaking with Dr. Linda Mercadante, the scholar who studies the belief systems of the non-religious. Linda Mercadante received her PhD from Princeton University. She worked for more than 30 years as a distinguished research professor of theology at the Methodist Theological School in Ohio. She is also an ordained minister in the Presbyterian Church and founded HealthyBeliefs.org. She is a journalist and has written for the New York Times and has appeared on NBC's The Today Show. Dr. Mercadante is the author of five books, and the two that are of most interest to us are Belief Without Borders, Inside the Minds of the Spiritual but Not Religious, and Victims and Sinners, Spiritual Roots of Addiction and Recovery. We at Food Junkies Podcast are interested in exploring if addiction can still be approached as a spiritual malady in 2003. Yes, we have tools to address the physical and psychological components of addiction, but how to utilize the spiritual in an increasingly secularized society? When so many complain that AA is too full of the God talk, What are people in recovery doing instead? The spiritual but not religious approaches may provide the means to include spirituality without turning away those people who don't like, quote, the traditional God stuff. So welcome, Linda. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thank you, Vera. Yeah, thank you. Would you be willing, we always like to start with a little bit of the personal to start with. Would you be willing to tell us how you got into the field of theology? Because I understand that you came from a non-religious and then a Catholic and then an atheist and then a, I don't know, you've had a, a number of different uh, manifestations into yes, who you are now. I have, I have. Okay, well, thanks for that question. I uh, was raised by parents of two different religions, uh, one Jewish and one Catholic, both from immigrant roots. And they did not uh, practice their religions because at the time, what was called a mixed faith marriage was considered a mistake and that it would harm the children and that their family wouldn't get along with each other and they would alienate each different side. So my parents decided not to do anything. And so I wasn't raised with religion. But all around me, there were people that were involved in their religions, especially my friends and my cousins, the children. And they seemed to gain a lot from having that kind of... um, rootedness which i didn't have not only that but it was but after world war ii having whilst having studied and heard about world war ii where jews were being killed and persecuted i wondered what that did to did for me because was one you know i mean it's was one half of me trying to hate the other half you know it was my christian side hating the jewish side i didn't have religion but i i had that those roots and so um it really disturbed me and i needed to find a way to resolve this conflict plus the conflict of not having any any roots that the other children had so i um started looking on my own and um even as a young child i could see that the the Catholic children really had something to hang on to. So I uh, decided to try that. My mother was very upset and angry. She was the one that was Jewish. My father didn't want to make waves. And so I pretty much was on my own. And I I stuck with that for a few years. And I did really gain a lot from that. Now, I was lucky because I didn't have anybody browbeating me or hitting me on the head with a Bible. It was pretty much almost like, hey, hey, take what you like and leave the rest. So I was really, I really was in a position of freedom. So I heard the good news of the gospel from the Catholics, actually. And there were many other things the Catholics preached, but I heard that part. And I thought that was wonderful because it talked about love and, and justice and all that equality. It really did. I mean, I heard that. And so I was happy to stick with that. But when I got older and I realized that a lot of things were not so good about it, in particular for me, sexism. And when I saw that women did not do as well, that women were and girls really couldn't get behind the altar. This was a while ago. Uh, were not respected as much. And then in college, I had this, uh, I heard about the Virgin Mary and I was like, wait a minute. I don't think that job is going to be open for me. <laughs> you know, mother of God and virgin. No, nah, probably not. 
So I decided that this was all not for me. And so I let, I really walked away from that. And I tried being completely secular. And uh, in fact, one day I, I was working for a small Catholic diocesan newspaper simply because that was uh, the only job I, available at the time in my area. And um, one day I woke up as, and I was an atheist, hmm. which was not a plan, not a plan. Uh, but when I saw the church more from the inside, I was very, you know, distressed. And it certainly wasn't any less sexist than what I had observed as a child. So I was an atheist. I wasn't planning on it. That's just what happened. And sometimes a conversion or a deconversion can just happen. You know, it isn't like you make a decision. It just happens. And that's what happened to me. So I lived with that for quite a while. And I found it was hard. I didn't it, there was an emptiness there. There was a vacuum. And um, I wasn't going to go back and be a Catholic at this point. And so I went on a spiritual quest. Now, I didn't know I was on a spiritual quest. I didn't know this, but I was. And I um, tried pretty much everything that was going around that I felt was, you know, not crazy. But I was involved in yoga, meditation, vegetarianism, you know, uh, tra uh, transcendental meditation, everything that was uh, available. I tried it that I could. While I, I probably gained a lot from those things, it did. they didn't answer my deeper questions, which later on I learned were theological, like about the meaning of life, like about evil, like about things like climate change and, and, um, and racism. I mean, they were not answering those questions. A lot of the people I met were just like kind of, you know, just rise above them. And I'm like, no, <laughs> you know, those are really big problems. And so I continued my spiritual question. I met some, believe it or not, evangelicals. It wasn't my social or political point of view, but what they did show me was hospitality and love, actually. And uh, I know they have a bad reputation now, but actually they were um, very kind and, and were very interested in the fact that I had spiritual questions. And so they helped me with that. I stayed with them for a while. Then I, it was just way too conservative. I couldn't stick with it. I moved on and I ended up with very progressive Presbyterians who looked pretty... Well, a highly intellectual approach that appealed to me because I could ask any question I wanted and they were happy for me to just do my own explorations and really work it through. That was very satisfying. So I ended up sticking with that for quite a while. I, I got a PhD in theology. I taught in a seminary for 32 years. But um, then I started to see the decline of the church. People were not acting very Christianly as they were watching what they had created fall apart. That made me very distressed. And so now I'm kind of in a liminal place. I'm in a transition. I, I can't go back to being an atheist. I can't go back to being completely spiritual, but not religious for reasons we could go into later. But I also am in between also, you know, I still try to contribute to my denomination because I felt, I feel that they, I owe them something, but I also feel in a transitional place. And when you're in that liminal transitional place, you don't know where you're going to go mm. and you don't know what's going to happen. And it's a kind of uncomfortable. It can be freeing, but it can be uncomfortable. So that's um, my, my story. That's a very interesting story. And a lot of what you say is what a lot of us have experienced, you know, coming from a traditional background or not knowing where they were ending in one and then moving out. But what, what I really found interesting about what you just said is, I mean, we're going to be talking uh, today about the spiritual but not religious community or the whole concept of that. And you're saying that you're not even sure you're that anymore. That's interesting. At first, when I really encountered some of the dark side that comes out of when people live in a panic, which they, they're, you know, they can get pretty dark. I thought, well, I'm, I guess I'm going back to be, to being spiritual and not religious. But having done that for so long and having interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people that are SBNRs, I really understand the pitfalls of it as well as the potentials. And so I can't just fully commit to something that I know what it feels like to have roots. And so I can't go back to not having roots. Okay. But I well, also see the dangers in people that over sacralize their, you know, religious practices and traditions. And so I am in a liminal transitional place. I really hope we get back to that, but I want to get to the spiritual, but not religious um, right. the concept, but I really hope we get to the limitations of it. So for our listeners, what does, uh, first of all, what's the difference? Just, just a thumbnail definition of difference yeah. between spiritual and religious. And then what does spiritually, but not religious terminology mean? Okay, let me start by saying it is actually a false dichotomy. Okay, 
the two are much closer and overlap than people realize. But people that call themselves spiritual but not religious do make a clear contrast between the two sides. And also I'll tell you what, I mean, I've interviewed hundreds and this is what they say. They say being religious means you're uh, focused on institutions and dogma and tradition and even maybe taking those things too rigidly. You're worried about buildings and meetings and, you know, sorts of external, really non-essential things. Um, and that this can become repressive or even hamper your spiritual life. Being spiritual, this is the definition I hear. I'm not saying I completely buy into it. The being spiritual, on the other hand, is considered very freeing. It's very individualistic. It's more about your heart than your physical, material, you know, reality. And it's so individualistic that you can you can encounter whatever you consider spiritual on your own and make it you're, you're self-authenticating. The authority comes from within. You are um, not indebted to any other tradition or history or group of people. So it's very American because that's the way yeah. we think we are. Uh, I think it's a false dichotomy, but I appreciate the potential in in that way of of thinking. Is it possible to see that, like, so you know, I'm talking about addiction here. So, like, a, a program like AA as being potentially in either of those categories. There's the dogma part and the rules and the regulations, and then there's also the people that say, no, 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 it's higher power and it's it's uh. Yeah, I've done a lot of work with AA. I, I wrote an entire book on on the big yes. book, and you know, in the whole process of AA and its spirituality. And yes, and so I can say that AA is so interesting because it's really in the middle. It isn't a religion. They would tell you that number one, it is not a religion, and the founders never meant it to be a religion. But the founders work sprang out of a religious mode because they were part of the Oxford group, which was a parachurch organization that was uh, completely Christian. It was very clear that it was a Christian group. So they gained a lot from that experience with the Oxford group, but they didn't want to exclude people that weren't religious or that had other religions. And so they tried to whitewash doesn't sound right, but they tried to extra extract the things that were too religious yes. and make it more generic. Okay. That was probably a good idea. The first time I heard the words, I'm spiritual but not religious, was from my classes in theology where the uh, recovering people, because we had a large population in the school of recovering people, we had a whole degree in that, chemical dependency counseling, and it was a really thriving, good degree. I really admired the people that had been, most, almost all of them were recovering. They were strong. They were, uh, they were, you know, interested in helping others. It was great. But as I was in class with them and, and showing them what theology was about, they'd say, well, we get more from our meetings in the basement of the church than we would get upstairs in the church. And so we're spiritual, but not religious. And I went, okay, that's interesting. What does that mean? And we would play with that. And then I advised a course uh, based on what they were saying. And so they could cut, uh, uh, compare and contrast what religion and what spirituality look like and so forth. When I first wrote my book, I was a little uh, worried about the program because I thought maybe it, it didn't have enough roots. But over time, I've come to appreciate it, and I would be the first one to send a person to a 12-step group. The thing is, the 12-step group was never meant to have the kind of roots that organized religion has. The found, Bill Wilson said, this is a spiritual kindergarten. Mm. That's true, but it's wonderful as a spiritual kindergarten. And in fact, a lot of my interviewees who are SBNR found their spiritual core in AA or in a 12-step group. So there's a good overlap right there. But the ones I think that thrived were the ones that went on and dug deeper, found deeper roots and connected with those deeper roots. And when you and mean deeper roots, what do you mean by deeper roots that AA was not touching? Well, AA, it doesn't really hand over. It has an AA tradition of its own, but it doesn't have a deep historical spiritual tradition like, say, Catholics, like, you know, there's many different spiritualities in Catholicism and Protestantism and Orthodox Christianity and Judaism. They all have their own spiritual traditions. And, and it's better to, I think, dig a deep well than a lot of shallow wells. AA gives you a tool for starters. It's like a starter kit, but it doesn't give you enough to go on to dig a deep well for your spirituality. But I like AA, I appreciate AA, and I would send someone to AA in a minute. But um, 
the ones that think it's too religious, that's interesting because I don't think it's very religious. But they they talk about God. That's yeah. yeah that uh, is usually, usually it's oh my God, there's so much God stuff here that they run away. Uh, and uh, yeah, but can we get to because uh, I think I think one of the things we need to talk about. And by the way, for people, when 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 you say the SBNRs, you mean the spiritual but not religious. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, just a short term. Okay, right, right. Uh, let's talk about the nuns because the N O N E S, the nuns. I guess yes. the ones who have nothing because I think. Right really where the darkness that you were alluding to uh, goes to. So let's start with that, and then we'll move to the... Well, darkness can be anywhere. I mean, humans have a dark side. It can, you can be religious, and you know, or spiritual, or nothing, and have a dark side. So I guess the nuns is the nothings. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because that's an important yeah. trend in today's society. It sounds kind of pejorative, though, to call them nothing. The way that word came up was that instead, when sociologists created surveys, they wanted to have categories. So, you know, are you Protestant? You know, are you spiritual but not religious? And then there was one called nothing in particular. So that's where the none came from, because you would check nothing in particular. But to say they're nothing is very ne negative. It's pejorative. It makes them sound, they're not nothing. They're human beings. But they just don't happen to be affiliated with an actual uh, religious group. So they're not affiliated. But numerically, they're, I mean, from what, what you say in uh, your book, it says here, you estimate that as many in terms of the younger population, three quarters of the population would be. So it's, it's a... It's a large group. Yeah. Well, um, and numbers have, are growing. 30 to 40% of Americans now are unaffiliated now in this year. And that's, so it's grown even since I wrote that book. And only and less than fifty percent now are affiliated. And in in the nineteen seventies, really, or even the nineties, the nineteen nineties, we had over ninety percent claiming to be affiliated with some organized religion. So this group has proliferated and grown exponentially yeah. over the recent years. And given that, wouldn't that have huge implications in terms of addiction? In terms of, I mean, you mentioned yes. things like you know some of those roots that you were talking about were things that started our hospitals, like you know the Catholic yes. and educational and shelters, like the yeah. Salvation Army shelters. Right. Um, so what happens to all of that? So anyway, do you want mm -hmm. to comment on that? Well, America's in a unique position because we have a very um, deep and rich religious tradition and history. So our government is not in the have you might think some people may think the government's doing too much but really when you compare our country to some other countries that are more that are more further along on the secularization trail the government does lots more for people than we do here so we're in sort of in a in a hard place because the government is uh, we don't we have a lot of opposition to the government helping so religion has done a lot of the helping and that was extremely useful but if religion is declining and the government has a predilection not to do so much helping, and even if we put people in office who think that the government should do less, we're really in a difficult place as far as people that need help, which you know, everybody needs help from time to time. And, and there's always people that need help who are let down by society. So the result is going to be, or could be, if we can't find a solution, more addiction, more depression, more suicide, and we're already seeing that. And so that we're in a transition place too. And so SBNRs could be helping in this situation. Yes. Now, one of the one of the uh, things that I love that you say, you you you. Uh, I, I, this is just a wonderful. I don't know if I'm going to quote you exactly, but you say we could be at the beginning of a great awakening, a religious transformation. I guess with this SBNR approach, the launch of a new age, or we could be at the beginning of chaos. It's true. Yes, and we actually don't know yeah. which it's going. If you look at the news now. It looks like the second option, chaos. It really does. And when people lose their roots, think bad things happen, you know? So um, the SBNR movement has a lot of potential, but it also has a lot of pitfalls. And it's well, give important us the, to give, give, us the, give us the potentials first. I want to hear the pitfalls, but give us the potentials. Okay. Well, um, well, first of all, I don't think organized religion is going to die. Secularization is continuing, and, and that's definite. But rather than seeing it as secular versus religious, I really think the religious sphere is bleeding into what we think of as the secular sphere, because people are inherently spiritual, all people. All people are inherently spiritual. In other words, they have a soul, they have a spirit, they have integrity, they have all that when, when they're at their best, of course. they all, We all need meaning, we all need purpose. All of that are spiritual things. 
So the fact that, um, well, two, okay, two things. One, sometimes religion resurges when there are, there are crises. So it could be that the that crises that happen, in other words, armed conflict, ecological crisis, even the rise of authoritarianism, uh, natural disasters, all those kinds of things, bad economic uh, situation, all those things actually sometimes create a resurgence or a revival in religion. So it could be that we're on the verge of a, of a new reformation or revival of religion if, I mean, it sounds bad, like if bad things happen. Okay, because people are like, okay, wait a minute, I thought I had control I thought the government had control. I thought we all had control. Now we find out we don't. We need to appeal to a higher power. We need to appeal to something greater than ourselves. Right now, we're not, thank goodness, we're not really there, but it could happen. All right, that's one scenario. Or, yeah, or complete chaos, okay. I don't think human beings can handle that, so I don't think that will happen. But the other thing is that um, it's possible that a new meta narrative, a new pattern of, of spirituality could emerge. And I'll give you the pitfalls of why, at the moment, the SBNR movement is in some way shooting itself in the foot, because it's not taking advantage of um, what it could be. But let me finish with the potentials. Uh, the SBNR movement is very interested in issues rather than institutions like climate change, nature, all that is really good. So possibly social issues or social action could become the glue that holds this group together. And I think we're actually seeing some of that, and that's that has potential. And, and just, just 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 to uh, pl place it to the addiction thing, that would be like AA reaching out to help others. Like that's the common goal is we want to help the uh, the new alcoholic that comes in the room. And they do that, but AA doesn't want to be political, which I do appreciate. But if they could find maybe an offshoot of them that would work on uh, helping the wider society be less addictive but see that that's not AA wasn't meant to do that but what can there be a side group that could work on social action to figure out the causes of addiction or violence or gun you know guns and all that and find a way to ameliorate it by helping people find their their spirituality their meaning and purpose okay so another possibility is that a new meta narrative is forming meta narrative meaning a big picture like what what does all this mean what's it all about kind of, I saw that in my interview is they had some common themes and that could become essentially a new religion, but it would be very different from current religions. It wouldn't be buildings and dogmas and all that. So that's another possibility. Can you give an example of what you were, what you were seeing? Well, I know what they, they reject some of the same things, no matter who I interviewed in what part of North America, they all rejected certain doctrines, dogmas that they associated with Christianity, in, in essence, really conservative Christianity. So, but then they also felt that there was an energy in the world and that there was something greater than themselves and that that was an energy that was a, not a being anymore, but a process or um, a, a type of spiritual higher power, a type of universal energy source that was impersonal now, but still benign and helpful. So that may be a way to go. That there's other I hear that in AA meetings all the time, exactly what you just right, said. Right, now that could become the source of a new spirituality, or even... Um, another thing was that um, I think what SBRs are looking for is what is sacred, and that's the core, that's the key. Philip Reif, who wrote really good sociology, said, when nothing is sacred, there is nothing. We need to know what is sacred. Human beings thrive when they have something in, that is sacred. And when we're all together in what we agree on what is sacred, a society thrives. Right now, we're not sure. We've lost it. Now, a lot of SBNRs find that nature is sacred. Okay, there's a potential that could become the source of a new uh, spirituality slash religion. It could especially the, the the action would be taking care of it. And then, you know, and human beings are part of nature, so taking care of humans too. So um, those are potentials in there. But there's pitfalls that right now are preventing the potentials from actually galvanizing and, and helping society. Let me just interrupt. You said sacred. Define what you mean by sacred. Is that like essentially that, in, again, in AA terminology, what fills the uh, empty hole of the donut? Like, is that the, yes. what do you mean by sacred? Yes. Well, St. Augustine, who was obviously a Christian saint, said, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee, uh -huh. meaning in God. 
So if you don't use the word God, it's okay. But there is something that is not just your personal higher power, but the higher power, the higher energy for everyone. And when we face in the direction of something outside, greater than ourselves and higher than ourselves and outside of ourselves, and we all focus in that on that focal point, we find unity in amidst diversity. And then we have uh, the ideals of peace and love and helping each other and all that. Okay. So AA goes a little way, but it doesn't go all the way. Okay. So and now go into the pitfalls. I just, you're really illustrating that we're speaking a lot of the same language, I guess, because AA is a, or not necessarily AA, but recovery talk when we talk spiritual is very much spiritual, but not re- religious talk. Very much. Yeah. Right. And that's why I admire it. And um, I've seen powerful people come out of that program when they make it, and not everybody does. And I know personally in my family that not everybody buys into it, doesn't sound right, but doesn't embrace it. And really, I think the gift of of AA is that they make you focus on a power greater than yourself and cooperate with it as opposed to feeling you're in control of your own life. Because, you know, in addiction, you think you're in control of your own life, but that's the opposite of what's true. Yeah. Okay, okay. so now the problems, I like to put, I like to point that out, that out because religion is not going to be the focal point. I mean, traditional religion isn't going to do it for the society, and we have to have something else. It's absolutely essential, or we do fall into chaos. And then you know what happens when you fall into chaos? Authoritarianism uh, takes over. And I do not want that. And no, I don't think any of us do. But those are the those are the options. You have a spirituality of the sacred that we agree on. And without that, you have chaos. And with chaos, you have authoritarianism. That's the, the way it's gone historically. Because humans don't want chaos. We Some people might think that's freeing, but really most of us think it's horrible. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of John Paul starts writing, you know, existentialism, nausea. It's, it, we we yes. can't live in that place. No, yeah. right. And, and you know what comes out of that place is addiction, depression, suicide. Not, I mean, he envisioned someone being so strong they could stand on the mountaintop in a windy nothingness and be brave enough to face it. Yeah, but how many people can do that? Right. How many people should have to do that? We shouldn't have to do that. And addiction will come out of having to be in that place and not wanting to be in that place. Well, anyway, the problems, I, I do like to point those out because I think that they're so significant that if we're not aware of them, we'll just drift off into complacency and not avail ourselves of the potentials of this movement, which will require a lot of effort and a lot of work. And it it just will. So okay. So the some here's the pit the some of the pitfalls. First of all, it's not it's not organized. And humans create social structures. Humans organize. Organization is not a bad thing. Even institutions are not essentially a bad thing. That's just what humans do. We organize. We work together. That's a good thing. So the the current distrust and cynicism towards institutions, as much as they're fallible, we cer- certainly know that it's damaging. It's damaging to society, and it causes people to retreat into themselves and just protect themselves, the family, you know, their their in-group. That's not going to prevent chaos and the bad things that could come out of that. Um, so the, the fact that a lot of the people seem to distrust organizing or distrust institutions, which are normal human things, that's slowing it down. Yeah, you know, if I can just uh, bring that to the conversation at hand, that we see that a lot with physicians and, you know, uh, we see that a lot with in food addiction in, you know, who do we follow? What food plan do we follow? Like there's just, it's so chaotic. It just becomes, yeah. people don't know what to do. Every yeah. day could be a different food plan. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, another one is that it's uh, at the moment, I'm not saying that we can't overcome this, but at the moment, the SBNR ethos is so highly individualistic that it creates kind of a lone ranger spirituality, which essentially breeds loneliness. And, uh, you know, uh, as the song says, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. That's not the kind of freedom that helps. And so Lone Ranger spirituality is um, going to keep us stuck. Another one is, it's kind. Of, I've noticed it's kind of like a revolving door. People try this, they try a coven, they try a yoga group, they try this and that. Yes. And if it doesn't meet all their expectations, they leave. But the thing is, nothing will ever meet all your expectations, ever. So get over it, uh-huh. you know? It's like trying to find a perfect church or sangha or something. No, sorry, not going to happen. 
be realistic because we're humans and we screw up. I mean, it doesn't mean you shouldn't try to fix it, but perfection is not going to happen right now. There's the tendency right now, this goes along with what I just said, to dig uh, shallow yes. uh, wells, to deep wells. That's a problem right now. People have trouble committing to any one group. If they find a group they like, but then it disappoints them, they want to leave and move on. I call that the revolving door, but it also prevents you from digging a deep well, which will feed your spirituality. So, okay, so I became basically, I wasn't a Protestant. I wasn't born a Protestant, no Protestant roots, wasn't raised to be a Protestant. Nothing about me was Protestant. In fact, I found it a little strange, (laughs) given my ethnicity, but it gave me some tools to dig a deep well. It had traditions. It had things I could really analyze, grab onto, use or not. And it had uh, it had traditions, and it had others in the similar quests, and I really that really helped me mature spiritually a okay. lot. So you mentioned that again, and I asked, but I'm going to ask again. So here's the spiritual, not not um, religious, which we, we agree is very AA like, or AA is very much like that. But uh, it's a shallow. You're saying it's shallow. What would be deep in a recovery platform that is not being offered right now? That may be the very thing that we're struggling with today. Well, I think people are too afraid to commit to something something that has a tradition that's a that has a religious aura to it and a tradition but i've seen people um, move into buddhism from their recovery stance and keep the recovery keep the recovery going yes keep that but also add now um say buddhism or christianity or judaism and if, if christianity turns you off judaism is very beautiful as a religion and has deep 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 roots and it's not just one. This is not one route. These are multiple routes. You don't have to pick one route. You have a lot of choices of spiritualities. Buddhism has many choices. Hinduism has many choices. These are long-lasting traditions that have a track record that have produced giants, spiritual giants. You can take, have some trust that when you find uh, your, you, it, it calls to you. If you find a tradition that calls to you, respond go with it trust don't you don't have to trust it implicitly but go down deep and see what's in there you might find something that really speaks to your soul and when you when you mean roots then you mean like the stories like like um the 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 parables um the songs the food um all that everything culture it's a lot of it is culture but it's okay it's culture specific now see not every american can dig deep into say a hindu tradition because the cultures are very different so most americans would be more comfortable in something that's western because that's our cultural root and you can't you can throw away your cultural root but it's still sticking to you it's still clinging to you like soil on your roots so if maybe Christianity seems to, you know, you have a reason why you don't like Christianity, how about Judaism? And Buddhism really can be westernized too. So there are places you can go to uh, replenish your soul that, that are, yes, frankly, religious. Yes, they are. But you're saying, no, you're saying get, get over it. <laughs> yeah, really, you know, sorry. <laughs> you have a term that, I don't know if you're going to bring it up, I, I want you to touch on it, the cut flower culture. Can you address yeah. that or like that term? Will Herberg, a scholar from, my, I think it was in the 40s, uh, said this, or the 50s, maybe the 50s. Anyway, the cut flower culture is, well, think about flowers. Okay, you go to the, the florist, you want some flowers to give to somebody, they, they've already cut them, really. They're in, you know, a container of water, and they, you give them to your friend, and they're very happy, and then in a week, they're dead. So they thrive for a short time. They're getting something from the water. Maybe you're re- refreshing the water, but eventually, these things are going to go. You know it, uh-huh. right? And they're going to go in the garbage or the compost, hopefully. That's cut flower culture. If you take practices from re- from various traditions, but you don't embed them in the soil that they came from and, and feed them with fertilizer and water and all that, you they will die. That's all that means. So it also means, it, well, it means it's, that it's like spiritual rootlessness. Cut flower culture is spiritual rootlessness. Which is where we are today, even in the 12-step program. Yeah. Right. It's well, the 12-step like program emerged out of a Christian parachurch group, so it had roots. Yeah, it had but roots, and it's it transitioning, and we don't yeah. know where it's, depending on what the person does with it, they don't. we don't know where it's going. But you're saying yeah. it has to go somewhere, really, to maintain 
Well, I think you can do recovery in AA and and have also a spiritual tradition that you dig deep into. I wouldn't give up AA because I think it's psychologically really a good program. You know, it's focused on, on, um, you know, you're not in control. There's a higher power. Your ego made you think you were in control, but you're really not. And you see you're completely out of control. That's really useful information. I, you know, I like it. I wanted to maybe throw in one or two other yeah, please. Uh, problems. Um, and I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just trying to say, look, you've got, you guys, you got some amazing potential here. Let's, you know, let's work on it. Let's not get hung up on some of these uh, pitfalls, right? So, I mean, religion has pitfalls, right? I mean, everything has pitfalls, but the SBNR pitfalls are kind of unique to that group. Okay, so what is very important to people that are involved in SBNR is that they be self-authenticating, that their authority comes from within their self. Yeah, okay, that's good, but not best, because the cell, you can, you can be delusional. You can, you can think you're on the right track, and yet for whatever maybe psychological problems you may have, we all have them, um, you, you may just be fooling yourself. You may think you're in, you know, with addiction. So um, being having all the authority reside within has a danger. Now, on one hand, authority does reside within. The authority to respond to um, a higher power. That's your authority to respond to a higher power, yes. But to think that you're the higher power or that all wisdom resides within you, you're the source of wisdom and you're the authority is a mistake because we're fallible, limited human beings. We don't have all wisdom and all knowledge. That's why you need to have a reference point that has wisdom and knowledge that's greater than you and not some authoritarian leader either. Because that's the danger that you're going to re- put your trust in something greater than yourself that isn't worthy of that trust. And is it possible that if a person says, oh my God, this is all just too confusing. I'm just not going to do the spiritual thing at all. Because we are essentially creatures that need what you call the sacred, we need that to thrive. Then essentially chaos will just move in and then potentially authoritarianism. And well, also just on an individual level, depression can move in. Yeah. Or addiction can move in because something you need something at the core of your life. And if you don't have it, you probably don't see the reason for living. The thing that worries me a lot is that people that feel that they have all this, they are the source of their of, of ultimate wisdom and truth are very unfortunately easy to manipulate. It sounds like a contradiction, but they feel they they know who you can trust and they know who you can't trust. And when they decide who you can trust, they become very easy to manipulate. Now, I don't think SBN... That's so interesting because that's the very reason why they're rejecting religion is because they feel that they're being manipulated. And here you are saying, no, you're actually putting yourself at higher risk. I think so. Yeah. Okay, maybe I'm being counterintuitive, but I do understand the SBNR movement. I have been part of it myself and I see the pitfalls... And so I, I kind of want to warn people to be careful because I, it is a good thing. It's hot, got tons of potential right now. Um, but sometimes we shoot ourselves in the foot instead of doing the hard work, you know, of realizing this potential. Can you yeah. elaborate more on the, the manipulation thing? I didn't want to stop you there. Like- well, like I said, if you feel all, all the truth is within you and, and all you, you have all the answers within you, if you can only get deep enough into yourself to find them, there's a yes and a no to that. Yes. Yes, you can feel the overtures of the sacred calling to your soul. Yes, that must be something you need to know within yourself and respond to. Yes. But if you are deluding yourself and going after the easy fix or thinking that uh, you like it so it's real, you like it so it's right. No. I mean, you you get the high from addiction. That, that must be it. That must be it, right? Well, you know what happens then, right? So we are not... Uh, we're not infallible. We mess up. We make mistakes. We delude ourselves. And so you do, you can't um, assume that you know everything and that you can uh, pick truth from, from falsehood. And so when someone comes and presents themselves to you as the guru of your life, and now everything is in this person's hands, and you turn yourself over to that person, you're extremely easy to manipulate. Huh. And that worries me. And, you know, I my Jewish relatives talked about the Nazi Holocaust. The Germans thought that Hitler was sent from God. Mm-hmm. They thought that this was good German tradition. They were a highly cultured, very rational, impressive culture. And they gave themselves over to this person. That is so scary. They were smart. 
highly intellectual, highly cultured, musically gifted. They had many theologians and philosophers. They had everything. And they gave the entire culture gave itself over. Right. And that was during a time in history where the traditions of the past were being pushed aside and there was chaos, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. And then the last thing um, that I want to say about a pitfall is that when um, you're kind of a spiritual dilettante, I'm not trying to be negative, but, you know, to be real. You kind of lack a clear purpose or a meaning, and it's just hard. It can lead to to dysfunction when you don't really know who you are or why you are or what you're here for. To fill that gap can be one of the causes of addiction, depression, suicide, and all that kind of stuff. Right. Okay. Well, so I I had initially thought that the SPNR movement was ideal for people who are running away from you know the God thing. They don't like they don't want to listen to what the Pope has to say because it's a history of that and you know the indigenous populations in canada what has the catholic church done Uh, i mean there's just many reasons to hate so that the SBNR becomes this this okay we can be spiritual but not religious and Mm -hmm. yet you're saying it's a transition and i guess it's a potential uh, movement uh, for a new reform but it has to move to something else yeah i think it does i do Uh, and um yes it's freeing it is freeing but see a lot of us don't recognize our own faults and our own darkness and our own delusional states and so uh, we think that all these religions have tried to hurt us or manipulate us and repress us and yet we can be free and clean by by exempting ourselves from it but it's not true because you have your own problems and issues and um exempting yourself from these historic traditions isn't going to solve that so it's it's a very bad place it's a very difficult place to be i get it and it's all, all the bad things that religion has done yes yes i know that however Something that is capable of great good is also capable of great evil. And unfortunately, uh, you've got to watch out for the evil, but you can't let go of the good. Okay. So what's a good addict to do? <laughs> so I guess you're saying certainly hang on to the AA platform because it's very useful, but you need to find something with uh, roots. And it sounds like those roots just by nature of the word roots mean traditional, that to find some traditional platform that speaks to you and allow that to speak to you. And I guess why is that? Because it's safety in numbers, it's safety in years. I don't know about safety. I wouldn't call it safety. I don't think religion is very safe. Okay. I wouldn't call it safety. Uh, but at least it's more voices than just your own. And so you got a lot more checks and balances. And, and you can study the history and see where they went off the off the rails. You know, like I can st- I've studied, I, I'm a historian of Christianity. I see where we went off the rails. I see where Christianity went off the rails. I see them going off the rails now. Okay, but I know what the rails are, you know? Like if you are, if you know what Christianity is about, it's about the this the divine the sacred god reaching out to say dudes i am not a scary terrible thing i love you uh-huh. i love you and i want to help you please respond to me okay that's the essence of what it means okay so when you hurt each other and all what if we hurt each other obviously we're not listening to that message okay so you know got to know what the rails are and all religions have these rails and all of them can uh, get off the rails fall off the rail so that you can find the goodness within and then essentially nourish that within ourselves. You maybe were hoping for some other message from me that this being ours is like this whole new thing. It's not there yet. It could be a whole new thing, but at the moment, it's in a liminal place. It's in a transition. But because SBNRs are looking for the sacred, I have hope for them. Okay. All right. Now, in in your book, uh, The Victims and Sinners, um, you end the book in a beautiful quote. Uh, and I don't know if, if you still stand by that quote. Where you, I don't know if you remember. You say, "God is uh, grace is God's self-revealing. Do you still believe in that quote? Oh, yes. I definitely do. Can I read that for, for our sure. listeners? Because it's yeah. just so beautiful. Uh, I'm, I'm just cutting a, a piece of a larger piece. A gr- a grace is God self-revealing. Grace can be like a delightful tune playing from somewhere in the background, and we are captivated enough to walk toward it, trying to find the source. It is easy to ignore, it is not coercive, and we can easily dismiss it. It may come again, although ignoring it can become habitual. In every case, grace promises more than we think is possible. 
and it promises something it can deliver. It promises freedom, life, health, relationship, and love. In other words, grace is at the heart of God, welcoming us back home. Yes, I definitely stand by that still. I love that. Even though you're you're moving into a transitional uh, spot. Yeah, 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 but that's my that's my grounding. Okay. Do you have any um, predictions about? Well, I guess you've already implied authoritarianism, but aside from that, you said that you have hope. Do you have any predictions about where we might go besides the authoritarianism for those of us? Predictions are dangerous. Okay. uh, But I'll try. Okay. Uh, I think that, you know, the everyday American person actually is pretty smart and has common sense. And I think most of us know that we have terribly hurt the climate, the, the, the earth, you know, with climate change, and that killing each other with guns is a stupid thing to do and a big mistake and a tragedy and horrible. So I think we agree on these things. And then, I mean, I'm not going to go into abortion and all that, but I think that actually the general population agrees on these things. We may disagree on the causes. I don't think we disagree as much on the remedies, but if we could all align ourselves around these ca- these causes, and again, espionage, I think, are more interested in issues than institutions. Okay, fine. But we can build institutions that are going to help with these uh, cult- right. things that we agree on. So I think that the um, movement around preserving nature, healing nature, healing ourselves, I think that has the potential to galvanize us into a new type of spirituality. But we got to work really, really hard. And if you're afraid of that, then you're not going to be, you know, helping. So, but I do see pockets of it here and there. It's best if we don't try to disagree and fight with each other over how to do it, but do what we can do. And, And really, a lot of us feel we have to save everything. Well, we can't. But if each person does what they're capable of doing that they feel called to and drawn to, mm-hmm. and we all do that, we'll actually progress and hopefully save the earth, save each other. Do you, do you think it's possible that people might just turn instead to just total atheism? Just, um, well, the, we're just going to shut that door. The numbers of atheists have risen, but really that's a pretty small percentage. I think it was about 3% uh, several decades ago, and it's up to either 5 or 7%. Now, that's it's it's rising. But um, the numbers of spiritual and our religious is way higher, way higher. It could be as high as as 40%, maybe even 50%, 47% of the population are nuns, but nuns with a spiritual bent. I I don't think that's a real threat. I think if you find yourself in in atheism, you can still arrange yourselves around around issues. I don't think being an atheist means you can't help save the earth. So I don't think that's really going to be a deal breaker. Because, you know, you can be, I know you can be good without God. So that's not really the issue. The issue isn't morality, I don't think. I find, I feel awkward when I, you know, are, am involved in these kind of conversations because I can't really be, I'm not like rah, rah religion. And I'm yeah. not like rah, rah SBNR. I'm like, uh, I'm in a liminal place. I'm in a, in a transition. And so many others are, if, uh, if we could, um, Mm. Joined together, we could do some wonderful, wonderful things. And I do believe that there is a divine source that is calling to us and that is trying to to lure us into like a lover, like a lover that wants, like, let's say someone's in love with you, but you're not sure if you love them. And the person just does all these wonderful things for you and shows you their good, shows you how good they are. And, you know, usually you kind of fall in love with them when you see that, you know, a lot of us have had that, have that happen. And so that to me is what, um, what, whether you want to call it God or our energy or, or the universe or the source, whatever you call it, that's the sacred. And to me, the sacred wants our good and wants our best and is calling to us and trying to lure us and bring us together, bring us to the source so that we will heal ourselves and the earth and be in love with the divine, with God. So I haven't given that up. Okay. Uh, Okay. So now for people who want to know more about you, can you tell us a little bit about the two books that I listed, The Belief Without Borders? Victims and Sinners? Yeah, yeah. Just tell a little bit about that in case people want to pick those books up. Well, I wrote Victims and Sinners, The Spiritual Roots of Addiction and Recovery, just to be a little personal when I was coming out of a relationship with an alcoholic so, who also had other ish, other problems. 
And I uh, and then I was teaching people that were in recovery and seeing the magnificent ways they they were the powerful ways they were changing, you know, and, and good and trying to help other people. So I wrote that book because I felt that I wanted to analyze the big book and see how uh, where the spirituality was coming from yeah. and the potential it had and the pitfalls it had. So that's basically what that book was about. Um, the belief without borders was written later on, and because I had been spiritual but not religious, and at that time I was a professor teaching at a seminary. Okay, so I was very identified with organized religion. So I thought, well, I'm hearing. I remember what it was like to be SBNR, and I was searching, and I was I had integrity, and I I really was trying was working hard. I felt that the that people that call themselves spiritual but not religious were getting a bad rap. That people called them shallow and salabar spiritualists and dilettantes and all that. And I thought, well, that's not how I was. I mean, that's not how the people I knew were. We were earnestly seeking, not not always aware of it, but were um, very determined to figure out what our spirituality was. And so um, uh, I said, well, you know, people are making fun of them. There's even now, you know, Grubhub. Did you ever hear the Grubhub ad? I don't know. Maybe you don't get it there. No. People still make fun of people that are spiritual but not religious. I think that's a mistake. Uh, so I wanted to I wanted to hear from them and have uh, everyone else hear from them in their own voice. So I decided to interview, and I was lucky. I was named a Pew Scholar. Um, I mean, a, a scholar. I got a grant. I was I got an award. Uh, my book, my work was you know chosen to be featured. So I was able to go around North America and interview hundreds and hundreds of people that said they were spiritual but not religious, and that's how the book emerged. Mm. And I found themes and commonalities, and it was complicated. I was basically doing sociology, really, but um, and theology. So I felt that they needed to be heard, and that's why I did that. Okay, thank you. So now our last question, or the last question that we always ask our guests, and that's our signature question, which is, if you could oh. tell a younger version of yourself something about your current theology or spirituality uh, without re religion or just your path, uh, what would it be? What would you want to tell a younger version of yourself? Trust the path. It seems scary. It seems rough. It seems uneven. It seems um, foggy, misty, but it does lead somewhere. And if you can carefully hear the still small voice that's speaking to you, and it might feel like music, it might feel like a rhythm, it might feel like drumming, you don't know what it's going to feel like. But if you can trust that it's there, trust that it's there and follow it and not get too upset when it, it just looks a little unclear. That's what I would say. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for participating in this podcast and uh, for your uh, insights into this transitional period. Thank you. You're very welcome, Vera. Thanks for joining us this week on Food Junkies, Recovery from Food Addiction. Make sure to join our Facebook group, Sugar Free for Life Support Group, I'm Sweet Enough. You can subscribe to our show in iTunes or Stitchers. That way you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Don't forget to pick up your copy of Dr. Tarman's book, Food Junkies, which is available on Amazon. If you have any additional questions, both Molly and Clarissa are food addiction professionals and work one-on-one -on -one with clients. You can find their websites and email addresses in the show notes. Be sure to tune in every Friday when our new episodes drop. As Vera loves to say, the power is ours. <laughs> <laughs>